One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Do you have it? All right. Listen to what it says. It says, behold, or in other words, look at this. Listen up. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I want to talk to you today over the next few minutes about the principle of unity. The principle of unity. I believe that one of the greatest things that we can uh, use to posture ourselves to experience God's blessing in our lives is the principle and the practice of unity. Here in this scripture, David, who is a a man who understood uh, what it was like to be in unity, and then he understood what it was like to be in a place where there was a lack of unity, And here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is declaring how good and pleasant it is. What an awesome, awesome passage of Scripture. And I I want to, for just a few moments, I want to kind of pull out some things that, that are in this passage of Scripture that I believe are essential to every single one of us if we are to recognize and release the power of unity and the principle of unity in our lives. The, the first thing is that David says is he, he, he makes a pronouncement, a pronouncement. How good and how pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. For those who heard this passage, his original audience, when they heard those words, good and pleasant, there was significance to those words. We hear those words and we just kind of move on through them and we kind of think that's nice, that's, uh, you know, it kind of gives me all the feels, so to speak. It's good and pleasant. But for those who, uh, who read this passage, the Hebrew people, they understood that good and pleasant was actually a direct reference back to the Garden of Eden. If you read the creation story in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, again and again you find the words good and pleasant. God made everything and he saw that it was good. God made mankind and he saw that it was very good. The Bible says that it was pleasant to the eyes. And what David is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that when people dwell together in unity, it is recovering what was lost in the Garden of Eden. The life of blessing that was lost through sin and selfishness can be recovered in the place of unity. Now, what is unity? If he's talking about unity, what is unity? Is unity just like, um, you know, Let's make sure that we don't say anything that's offensive to anybody else in the name of unity. That's not what unity is. Is unity 
just, um, you know, I like this and you like this, and so let's hang out together. That's not unity. And in fact, the world today often settles for a poor copy of unity. Because unity is not merely, here's the definition of unity, it's not merely the absence of quarreling, but it's delighting in one another with mutual affection and the promotion of each other's welfare. Most of the world today has settled for the absence of quarreling, right? I mean, we'll hold a peace summit, and the goal of it is Let's just try to not kill each other. For most people today, that's that's the highest place of unity is let's just try not to kill each other. But what God's definition of unity is is much greater than that. It's delighting in one another with mutual affection, promotion of, of another's welfare. In other words, it's not just tolerance. There's a lot done in the name of tolerance today. And let me say this, tolerance is good, but it is a low bar. I tolerate mosquitoes, (laughs) right? How many of you think if that is our definition for community, that is a pretty low standard, right? God's definition is not that I would tolerate you, it's that I would want the best for you, that I would I would be thrilled when God's blessing comes on you that I wouldn't look at you to compete with you, but I would champion your success, that I would want your good and your welfare. That's what unity is. And so first of all, he gives a pronouncement how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then he goes on and he gives two pictures. First a pronouncement, then two pictures. I'll get to some application in a little bit. It says, he says, it is like the precious oil. The first picture is this. It's like the precious oil running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the precious oil. Unity is like the precious oil. What's the precious oil? It's the anointing oil that was poured on Aaron. That, that anointing oil, if you know the, the story of the Old Testament, Aaron was Moses' little brother, and when God was bringing them out of Egypt, he said, I want you to anoint Aaron to be the priest. And he took this oil and he poured it on Aaron, and when the oil came on Aaron, the oil was a sign of the manifest presence of God resting on Aaron's life. When the oil went on Aaron, Aaron went from being Moses' little brother to being the priest before God. In other words, it set him apart. It distinguished him from everybody else in Israel. He was a priest. Why? Because the oil was on him. And David says that unity is like that oil. In other words, if you want to stand out in the world today, just, just be in unity. Just love other people. If you want to be different in the world today, just cultivate a workplace that there is not backbiting and undermining and infighting. If you want to have a house that becomes attractive to other people, just be a place where you love each other, where you care for each other. That, that's what will distinguish 
us from the world around us. Let me say it this way. For us as a church, the thing that should attract people to us is not laser lights. Now, if you got them, use them, right? Go for it. Nothing wrong with that, but my my point is this, that that will not bring a blessing into anybody's life. What will cause us to become distinct from the world around us is what Jesus said when he said this, they will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. You want to be distinct from the world, just start loving people. Just start loving one another. The second picture, the oil also was poured out onto Aaron's head. And notice it wasn't dabbed. It wasn't dabbed. Anybody ever had anointing oil put on them? And uh, have you ever, who's had the dab? Who's ever had the pour? The pour. That's when you're glad you don't have hair. It just runs off, right? But it was poured onto Aaron. That means it, it says it flowed down onto his garments. It wasn't just a little bit. And if you know about that oil and what that oil was, it was a beautiful aromatic blend. It was the original essential oil. And when it was poured out onto Aaron, there was an aroma that filled the room. And everywhere that Aaron went as the priest, there was this beautiful smell that when someone walked into the room, they said, what is that? It became attractive. You see, the oil is it's like, or the unity is like the oil on Aaron. It, it sets us apart and it makes us attractive to the world around us. But not only that, he says it's like the dew of Hermon. What's the dew of Hermon? Well, Hermon is, if you know the geography of the Middle East, Hermon, Mount Hermon, is the tallest mountain in what was at this time Israel. It is modern day Lebanon. It's the tallest mountain that is over twice as high as every other mountain around. And in that area that is very arid and very dry, because of its elevation and because of the cooler temperatures, water would gather, precipitation would form, and in the winter it would be snow-capped. And, uh, and when, the, when the snow melted, that precipitation would run down and would water the whole area around it. And David is saying, when you are in unity, it's like this precipitation. It's like this refreshing drink in the midst of the desert. So unity will make us distinct. Unity will make us attractive, but unity will also make us refreshing. And if you don't believe me, just be in an environment where there is not unity. You know, unity is kind of like health. You don't know how good it is until you don't have it. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't even think about it until you don't have it, and then you go, oh, how good and pleasant it is. And unity is the same way. If you've been in an environment where there is arguing and there is fighting and there is backbiting and there is politicking and positioning for power, and you get into an environment where the people just actually love each other, you're like, I didn't know this was possible, right? Right? And that's what he is saying. 
And, and, and not only does he give a, a pronouncement and a picture, but then he gives a promise. He says, where there is unity, there, uh, there God commands a blessing, life forevermore. Now, there's some places in the Bible that God speaks a blessing. There's some places that God offers a blessing. But this is one of the few places that I know of in the Bible where the Scripture says God commands a blessing. How many of you know that when God commands it, it happens? And so what he's saying is there's people that are in unity, and so I'm just going to move heaven around in order to release a blessing into their life. It's the promise that where there is unity, there is life forevermore. In other words, eternal life. Let me say it this way. Where there is unity, it's a little taste of heaven on earth. A church in unity becomes a little taste of heaven on earth. A family, a house, a marriage in unity becomes a little taste of heaven on earth. A business, an organization where there is unity and submission unto the Lord becomes a little taste of heaven on earth. There is life forevermore. David is giving us the principle of unity, and here's the principle of unity that I want us to know. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, just write this down. Here's the principle of unity. It's that the presence of unity releases the power of God. The presence of unity releases the power of God. Why is unity so important? Why does it release the presence of God? Ultimately, because unity is rooted in the nature of God. Unity is not a nice add-on for those who happen to be with people like them. Unity is not a nice option for families where they just kind of sync up naturally. Unity is, is essential for blessing because unity is a reflection of the nature of God. Israel would quote every day the Shema out of Deuteronomy that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. They would repeat it in the morning. They would repeat it in the night. Why did God tell them to repeat it? He wanted to emphasize the importance of unity, that God is one. But just like in Genesis 1, 26, when God says, Let us make man in our image. God is both plurality and he is unity. He is Three persons in one God, one substance. I won't try to explain the, the Trinity to you right now, but he's saying uh, unity is essential because unity is reflective of the nature of God. And, and therefore, an attack on unity is an attack on the very nature of God. Let me say it this way. I believe that unity is God's ultimate strength on the earth. If you don't believe me, read Genesis chapter 11, where the, the people of the world gather together and they build this tower that, that we call the Tower of Babel. And God looked down and he saw them building this tower and he said, I've got to go down there and actually confuse their language. And here's what he says. He says, because if there is one people with one language, in other words, if people are in unity and in alignment, nothing they set out to do will be withheld from them. This is the principle of unity. Where there is unity, there is blessing. Where there is not unity, there is an absence of God's blessing. It, it, this principle is true in business 
This principle is true in marriage, it's true in friendships, it's true in churches. You cannot gloss over disunity. You cannot ignore disunity. Where, where there is a lack of unity, there will be a lack of blessing. This is the principle of unity. And so how do we then get into unity? How many of you want God's blessing on your life? 20%. Awesome. Very good. Very good. I'll, I'll blame the uh, tryptophan. On for the, I'll give credit for the rest of you. How many of you want God's blessing on your life? Heaven on earth. Yes. Then we have to practice the principle of unity. And so I want to give you three things that I believe are essential, three aspects of unity that I believe out of this passage are essential if we're going to experience the blessing of God. The first one is what I would call spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. I told you already that people try to get unified around a lot of things, right? Let's get unified around a cause. Let's get unified around a preference. Let's get unified around a common goal. And all of those things can be good in measure, but ultimately true unity has to start from the heart. You see, the issue of division is the issue of the heart. The reason there is division is, is not the circumstances. Let me say it this way. The issue is never the issue. The issue of division is never the issue, right? How many of you can relate to that in marriage or, or some other experience in life? There, you will argue about something that you actually don't even care that much about, right? I mean, you argue. I'm trying to think of something that Jennifer has argued with me about, and I just can't think off the top of my, off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of a most recent uh, example. Nothing's coming to my mind. Do you have a thought? Oh, perfect example. Thank you, sweetheart. I'm just glad that you've cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Um, <laughs> when Jen and I first got married... Some of you know we dated for like three months. I don't recommend that, but anyway. Um, so our first year of marriage was the first experience of everything. First time we had, had birthdays together, first time we had done everything together. We, of course, moved in after we got married. And I remember we had the discussion about decorating the house. And I had a certain thought on where the pictures needed to go. I thought they needed to be at this certain height, and she thought they always needed to be lower, right? And, and I remember it was like a blow-up deal. <laughs> it was like I mean, our first, wasn't it pretty big? I mean, 15 years later, we're br you're bringing it up. But anyway, um, <laughs> so we got, we got into it, and we, we went at it for a little while, of, and, and it was but what was the issue? The issue wasn't the height of the pictures. I've realized she is right now. But the issue wasn't the height of the pictures. The issue was my heart. I wanted to control. I wanted to be right. I wanted it my way. Now, don't look at me so pious because you have the same heart. <laughs> right? And, and it may not be the picture height, but we've all been there. But here's what I'm telling you is the issue is not the issue. The issue of unity is your heart. 
And the reason there first must be spiritual unity is because only Jesus can give us a new heart. You can rearrange the outward things and you may get appeasement for a period of time, but you will not have true oneness and true unity. And notice what David says. He says, how good and pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. How do brothers get to be brothers? They don't just decide we're going to be brothers. Brothers get to be brothers because they have the same father, the same parents. In other words, there has to be something outside of ourselves that becomes the source and the standard of our unity, right? And so let me give you another example. If I had 100 pianos and I wanted to tune all of the pianos together so that they were all in tune, I could tune piano one, two, three, but how many of you know by the time I get to piano like six, seven, or eight, one and two are not going to be in the same, you know, they're not going to be tuned the same as six, seven, and eight. In other words, I could never get, if there was no outside standard, I could never get a hundred pianos in tune together. But how do you tune pianos? You don't tune pianos just to another piano. You tune a piano to a tuning fork. The tuning fork gives the standard and when you tune each piano to the tuning fork, all of the pianos come in tune with each other. The same is true in life. We all have our own unique identity. In fact, Nate, would you hand me those posters? I'll give you a little illustration here. Thank you. We all have our unique identity. I need a couple of, uh, I need a couple of volunteers. Eddie, would you be a volunteer? You sat on the front row, so you're volunteered. All right, Chad, Ethan, Ethan, you can be my volunteer, okay? Well, okay, we'll, we'll go with this. So, Ethan, you hold this and stand over there. Okay, so here's, just stand right there. All right, so let me give you an example. We each have our own identity, right? Everybody has their identity. How do I identify, you know, am I an outdoorsy guy, am I an indoorsy guy, whatever, you know, however you identify yourself. Here we've got Eddie, and uh, we're just going to put this label on you, Eddie. Here, here's Eddie. He's a Republican. He's a vegan. He's single. We need to switch these around because you're married. But let's just say he's single. He's creative. He's a student. He's a coffee drinker. He's a, a tattooed, loving night owl. This is Eddie, okay? Now let me come over here, and I'm going to go to Mr. Ethan, who is a Democrat, He's married with kids. He's got, he wears pleated khakis except on the weekends. He's a keto-eating, early bird, vaccination-loving man. Okay, this is Ethan, all right? And I know I may have put some, some things on there that some of you are like, that's offensive just that you put that on there. Well, this is a sermon on unity, so you got to get over it, okay? But here's what I want you to know. If I tried to get Ethan and Eddie in agreement on these things, how many of you know it would take eternity to do that? Like I could, Eddie would try to convince Ethan why veganism is better than keto diet, right? So maybe that's a bad example, too close to home. Okay. But my point is, I would never be able to bring them to the place of agreement when it's based on their own self-identity, right? And that's oftentimes the way we approach unity or community. We say something like this, I want to hang out with people that do what I do. I want to just hang out with coffee drinkers. 
Well, there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee and there's nothing wrong with hanging out with coffee drinkers, but that's not community. That's called affinity. Affinity is I want to hang out with people just like me. Uh, Jim Gaffigan said, I want to look at myself while I work, at, work on myself, right? It's all about self. And so we'll never get into unity in that place. i got to hurry. And so rather than it being about self-interest, here's what we have to do. We've got to throw these things down or rip them up, one or the other. And we've got to put on a new label. We've got to put on a new identity that is in Christ Now, it doesn't mean that any of these things are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but here's what I want you to know. When you come to Christ, you get a new identity. And and because of that, even if you're a keto eater and you're a vegan and you're you're a Republican and you're a Democrat, when you come to Jesus, you have more in common than you have apart. And so Jesus has to be our source of unity. That's why in church we can't just assume that every person has a relationship with Jesus just because you're in church. Just because you walk into the building, every single one of us first and foremost must submit our lives to Jesus because it's out of that place of uh, of connection to Jesus that our unity flows. Amen? Thank you so much, guys. You did a great job, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. Always sit on the front row, and uh, you never know what will happen. But here's what I want you to see is that the closer we are to Jesus, the closer we will be to each other. Whenever there's a schism, whenever there's an argument and fighting and, and something that cannot be resolved, I'm not talking about just a momentary thing, but whenever there's a deep division, ultimately it's, it, it's a symptom of a sign of distancing ourselves from Jesus. And so we have to first be in connection to Jesus. The first aspect of unity is spiritual unity that can only be achieved in connection to Jesus. The second aspect of unity is not just spiritual unity, but what I would call missional unity. Missional unity. Notice how the oil, or notice three times in these passages, there is a direction to the flow. It says it's like the oil that is running down on the beard, running down on the edges. It's like the, the uh, dew of Hermon that's descending upon the mountains of Zion. Three times there is this flow of the blessing coming down. The blessing starts at the top and then the blessing flows down. Let me say it this way, that the blessing you receive is dependent on where you are positioned. Uh, this is what the Bible calls submission. Submission. Oxygen leaves the room, I know. There are no churches that are advertising on Instagram, come this week to hear five keys to being more submissive. There is nobody that is, the, the word submission is not trending, but, but here's what I want you to understand is that you will never experience the blessing of God outside of submission. Outside of submission. That word submission is a compound word meaning to come under another mission or the mission of another. You see, God's plan for Israel was not just to bless Israel. It was that through Israel, the blessing would flow down and that ultimately would flow into all the world. 
Ultimately, that blessing had to be accomplished through Jesus. But it's very interesting that David says here that this blessing, this blessing of unity is like the dew of Hermon. The dew of Hermon flows down and it, it, it flows into the surrounding mountains and it becomes, ultimately, it is the head or the start of the River Jordan. And this is a picture of what submission does. When we come under God-given authority, we release a stream of blessing into our lives. We release the blessing of God into our lives. Where did Jesus go when he began his ministry? Do you remember? He went to the Jordan River. And when Jesus went to the Jordan River, John the Baptist was baptizing people at the Jordan River. And John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy even to loose your sandals. And Jesus said this. He said, permit it now to be so, so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. He was saying, I've got to come under your authority, John. Yes, I'm, I'm greater than you because I am God, but even Jesus had to begin his ministry in submission to John. The anointing, listen to this, the power was not released until the authority was present. Jesus was always God. He was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But the call on his life was not released until he went to the Jordan, which is a sign of submission and unity because it flows from the Mount Hermon. And he came under John. And when he came under authority, the Holy Spirit came on him. And the voice spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It happened once he came under authority. In every single one of us, when we are saved, God gives us a calling for our lives, a, a, a purpose, a plan, a destiny that he has for us, and he gives us gifts by the Holy Spirit. But many of us never see the manifestation. We never see the release of that, that power of the Holy Spirit because we refuse to come under the authority that God has called us to. And here's the, here's the problem with or here's where we often can go is, well, I'm not going to submit to him. I'm not going to submit to her. I'm not going to submit to them. I'm equal to them. Now, let me remind you, John was great, or Jesus was greater than John, but even Jesus had to submit. It was a picture of the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus lived his whole life in submission why did he experience the power of God? Because he lived under the authority of God. You cannot operate in power if you are not under authority. Let me give you an example. When you turned 16, many of you, your parents maybe gave you the keys to their car, minivan if you're extra blessed like I am. It's the gift of humility. And um, they gave it to you. And uh, if you were ever stopped by a police officer, he didn't ask you, do you have the keys to operate this? What does he ask you? Let me see your license and registration. What's he, what's he inquiring about? Do you have the authority to operate this vehicle? You have the keys. I know you have the keys. The keys are the power 
but are you authorized to use the power? And Jesus, at the River Jordan, when he came under that river, which is symbolic of the submitted unity, as David says, when he came under the Jordan, he was demonstrating his submission to the Father, and suddenly the power was released. Some of us spend our whole lives bucking against authority, bucking against the, maybe it's a boss, and you just think, if I was in charge, I could do it better. How many of you know, it's easy to know what to do when you're not the guy in charge? Anybody ever been in charge? How many of you know when you're in charge, it's better to not be in charge? I remember when I was a kid, I was like, I can't wait till I grow up until, so that I can do whatever I want. That moment has still not arrived, okay? And now I'm like, man, I wish I was a kid, then I could just do whatever I want, right? <laughs> I don't know why I was saying that, but... Submission, Uh, authority is released in submission and power manifests in authority. And so we'll never experience the release of the power and the gifts of God through our life until we learn to come under the God-given authority. So practically speaking, rather than criticizing our boss, we just need to make the decision, hey, if this is where God has me, Even if they're not perfect, I'm going to submit to them as unto the Lord. You see, here's here's what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us that regardless of how, how bad an authority figure is, and the scripture does not tell us that we should submit to people that will lead us into sin, but most of the reasons we don't want to submit is not because of sin. Most of the reason we want to we don't want to submit is because we just want to do what we want to do. Right? that, and actually that spirit is championed in our world today. I talked to a guy recently whose, whose wife had left him, and I was trying to encourage him, and he's not a guy in the church, but I was trying to encourage him, and, and he said the weirdest thing that I've ever heard in my life. He said, uh, she deserves to be happy. Now back up from that for a moment. What he's saying is, she, it's okay for her to leave me because she deserves to be happy. And what he's basically saying is, we prize personal happiness above everything else. Follow that trail of thinking down and it gives you license to do anything that you want. Right? And, and, and I thought, I didn't tell him this because he was like going through it anyway, but I didn't want to be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But that's what I thought. And, and here, this is the spirit that rules our world. If, you, if it makes you happy, you have the right to do it. And Jesus, who was the one who created the world and had the right to do whatever he wanted, he didn't do what he wanted. Listen to what the Bible says in John 12, 49 through 50. He says this, I have spoken, I, I have not spoken on my own authority But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. What's Jesus saying? I'm not just speaking my own agenda. This is not about, even Jesus is saying, it's not about me. I'm just doing what the Father tells me to do. And he says, the reason I'm doing that is because his commands are everlasting life. What he speaks is is the the very best thing. And here's the issue of authority. The, The root of authority 
is found in the word authority, author. Who has the right to be the author of your life? And fundamentally, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are making a decision that regardless of how I feel, regardless of today or tomorrow, I am laying down the pen of authority and authorship in my life, and I'm yielding it to Jesus. Jesus, you write a better story than I can write, so Jesus, take the pen, right? Take the pen. You're in control of my life. That was a direct Jesus, take the wheel reference in case you missed it. And so unity happens in submission, it happens when we submit to the authority that God has put over our lives. And I said to you earlier, the problem that we often find is, is that unity, the blessing of unity flows down. The problem isn't me submitting to God. The problem is me submitting to people. Right? Like, I'll submit to God all day because God's perfect. Right? But submitting to other people, that becomes the problem, that becomes the challenge. But do you remember the story of Elijah and Elisha? Elijah called Elisha, and he, he served Elisha. Now, Elisha was called by God to be a prophet. He had a destiny. God had a plan for his life. But Elijah called him to come serve him. And Elisha could have said, well, I'm not called to serve you. I'm a prophet. Why would I serve you? I'm a prophet just like you're a prophet. But he came under the authority of Elijah, and the Bible says this, that when Elijah departed and the mantle passed to Elisha, it was a double blessing. In other words, submission never diminishes your life. It doubles your life. You may feel like, I, I don't want to submit to these people or to this person or to this community. I don't want to submit to this. Again, the gospel tells us, ultimately, it redefines how leadership is, that leadership's not to lord it over you, it's to serve. But it also tells us this, that regardless of how powerful someone is, there is a greater power. And so we can submit, not begrudgingly, but willingly, the Bible says. I don't have time to explain everything that I want to around submission, but do you remember the story of the centurion that went to Jesus and his servant was sick? And he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, if you would just say the word, my servant will be healed. He said, you don't even have to come to the house. You just speak the word. You're the author. You just say the word. And because you're the one writing the story, when you speak the word, it's going to happen. So just speak the word. And the Bible says Jesus marveled. Actually, the, the centurion went on to say, uh, I, you speak the word because I'm a man under authority and I have people under my authority. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And Jesus marvels and says, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. What was it that Jesus marveled at? What was the faith? It was submission. It was submission. And so the blessing of God, unity always flows through submission to authority. Number three, I want you to see this, is that not only is unity found in Christ and not only is unity found in submission to God-given authority, but the third thing I want you to see is what I would call functional unity. Functional unity. Notice as the as the oil flows down onto Aaron, it says it flows down the beard 
and it's running down the edge of his garments. What were the garments that Aaron was wearing? The garments that Aaron was wearing was the priestly garments. It was the garments of serving. And this is a picture uh, of how unity flows, that unity always flows functionally through serving others. Let me tell you, you can sit around uh, and have a thousand cups of coffee, and I'm pro-coffee in case you're wondering, but there's something that happens that, that will never be released. There's a function and an expression of unity that will never be released until you begin to serve others. Some of us have never experienced the blessing of unity in our lives because we've never put on the priestly garment of service. We've never taken off our identity, and as the Bible says of Jesus, that he, considered, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of mankind. He took on this form of serving and so unity is not achieved when we just shoot for unity. Unity is achieved when we first say, God, I'm going to connect to you, Jesus. And my unity is found in you. And then when we submit to the authority that God's placed over our lives, and then we begin to step in to serve one another. Practically speaking, I've seen this in the church uh, many, many times over the years. I've seen people, in fact, in our Alpha group this past week, Megan was just saying how she had moved here from... Uh, Missouri, grew up in Missouri, had lived her whole life there. She moved here, uh, newly wed and just getting established in life. And um, she said in our Alpha group this week, and I just remembered what she said at Alpha stays at Alpha, but can I say what you said, Megan? It wasn't anything controversial, but she said, it wasn't until I started serving that I began to feel like some other place could be home. What, she, what was she saying? I, I started serving in the church I didn't just show up and go, man, nobody's talking to me, nobody's meeting me, nobody's loving me. She goes, I'm going to serve. That wasn't an impression of anyone, by the way. <laughs> she said, I'm going to just start serving. I'm just going to start giving myself in service to others. And as she did, something happened in her heart that she began to feel like, these are my people. These are my people. You see, the same thing is true uh, of serving that is true of giving. Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. There's a direct correlation between your heart and giving. And there's also a direct correlation between your heart and serving. If you want to love somebody, just start serving them. If you want to love your neighbor more, just start serving them. If you want a better community where you live, just start serving. If you want to have a better workplace environment, don't ask for a promotion, just start serving. If you want a better church, just start serving, amen? If you want a better family, a better house, just start serving. Thank you, thank you, two of you in agreement, amen. <laughs> here's what I, here's uh, the visual picture I want you to see. Have you ever, Seth, I know you can relate to this because you cycle, but have you ever seen a group of cyclists in line? Why, why do they ride in line like that? Not just because guys in stretchy pants should stick together. It's actually a, a reason much greater than that. It's because when you get in line together, your energy is, is um, transferred, right? 
In fact, a study that I read said that there's up to 44% better efficiency when you're drafting. In other words, you're not just out on your own, but you're doing, you're, you're in community, you're in alignment, and you're serving together. Every one of you has a gift, God-given gift. We talked about that in the series Inspire. But some of us never realize the full potential of our gifting because we want to do our own thing rather than come into alignment in the place of unity. And when you, when you say and I say and we all say, not scream for ice cream, but we all say, God, I'm coming into connection with you. Jesus, there's no perfect person. I'm not putting my hopes on a political candidate. I'm not putting my hopes on my own preference. I'm not looking to just my preference or, or anything else. God, I'm surrendering my life to you and I'm coming under the authority that you've put in my life because ultimately I'm trusting that you're the author of my story. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to begin to use the gifts that you've given to me. David says this, there the Lord commands blessing life forevermore. What would it be like if we began to practice this? What would it be like if we began, every single one of us, we said, Jesus, I'm just living in connection with you. I'm going to spend time with you out of that place. I'm going to overflow in love for others. I'm going to submit to the authority in my home, in my workplace, or in the church, or in the city, wherever you've put me, God, I'm going to submit to the authority because I believe that the blessing is going to flow through my life, and then I'm going to use the blessing not for my status, but for service. What would it be like, David tells us, life forevermore? It would be heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. Worship team, would you come back up? I'll ask all of you, if you would, just to stand.